Hey ghouls and fiends, welcome to the first episode of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. I'm kicking off this new show with the granddaddy of horror comics, The Tomb of Dracula. A brand new show, and a brand new guest as well. Author Scott West and I sit down to talk about this awesome comic, and he and I are going to talk more of this series, so you can definitely look forward to that in the future. Stay tuned as we'll jump into the issue number one after this quick break. Be scared. I'm the super sweet monster with the super sweet new cereal, Count Chocula. Biffle, here's the super sweet new cereal, Frankenberry. But I've got chocolate sweeties for monstrous chocolate flavor. Well, I've got berry flavored sweeties for monstrous strawberry flavor. Count Chocula. Frankenberry. Hi. <laughs> Frankenberry. Count Chocula. Hey everybody, Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange here, back with another recording, and this is going to be something a little different this time around. I've just started two new shows under my same feed, and one of them is going to be nothing but horror comics, as I feel like there's a little bit of a void of horror comics uh, podcasts in my life. No offense to anyone out there that's currently doing one, but um, one of my favorites was uh, Midnight the Podcasting Hour by Ryan Daly, and he wrapped that show up a couple years ago, but... He was strictly DC Comics. So I want to talk some DC too eventually, but right out of the gate here, I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite horror comics, probably my favorite horror comic of all time, and that's The Tomb of Dracula. And I'm going to be talking about issue number one in this episode, and I'm going to be talking to a brand new guest for me and somebody that's been a Twitter buddy of mine for quite some time now, and that would be Scott West. How are you, Scott? Hey, I'm doing good, Billy. Good to talk to you finally. I know I'm. I'm really uh, starting to, like I said, off mic before we started recording here. Getting a having a really good time this past year, year and a half. We're getting recorded with a lot of good friends from Twitter that you know we go back and forth about movies and music and comics on Twitter, but never actually got to uh, sit down and talk, which is always uh, even more fun than that. <laughs> yeah, this is great, and I'm really looking forward to this. I appreciate you asking me to uh, cover this particular yeah, topic. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great, man. I don't know about you, but this uh, one of the this is one of the first horror comics, Tomb of Dracula, I ever bought. Now, not this issue, because of course, you know, this issue is an absurd amount of money, and they didn't have trades in it, <laughs> except mm-hmm. they had black and white trades called Essentials, and that's how I first uh, read these comics, which was really cool because back then, before you know, the market started going crazy many moons ago. Right. Yeah, the the <laughs> trades of like the Essentials, you could literally find those for sometimes five bucks a pop at a con and that's where I found them. And that's how I really got into this style. So how about you? Nice. Well, I have to admit, um, as much of a monster kid as I was, and as much of a Marvel kid as I was, um, tomb of Dracula, which seems like it would have been right up my alley when I was a little kid. Uh, I only saw an issue here and there. And they were mostly from my older cousin who kind of got me into collecting comics. Um, so the, I read one once in a while, but I had no idea of continuity or anything like that. Um, so it was really only a few years ago when, when like you said, when, uh, well, you got the Marvel Essentials, but I found the trade paperbacks, and I'm not sure when these first came out. Uh, but I bought mm. the 
two of three available ones <laughs> and, uh, and just devoured them. So, uh, then I, I got into the continuity and everything. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure how long ago it was, but not, not as far back as you would think, given my history with horror, because, uh, if I would have been more aware when I was a kid, I probably would have been buying these every month. Um, but mm. you know, when, when I was a kid, I was a victim of whatever was available on the spinner rack at my local grocery store, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, maybe that, maybe that month Dracula sold out or they don't, they didn't stock it or whatever. But, um, so it's, it's a fairly recent read for me. Yeah. I mean, for me, if I would have had this at home when I was a kid, my mom would have been like, get rid of that crap. <laughs> that would have been a little too, <laughs> that would have been a little too much. If she would have saw the cover to number one here, she would have been like, get out of here with that. So <laughs> been a yeah. dog house. <laughs> hey, I never thought of that. I, yeah. I might've had to stash this one uh, based <laughs> on the cover, <laughs> which by the way is, uh, I got to say one of the most awesome covers uh i've ever seen uh, neil adams right that is neil yeah. adams yeah yeah this is uh tomb of dracula one from 1972 and this is a cover by yeah neil adams and anytime they collect this this is always on the you know the cover because it's you know it's neil adams <laughs> it's like yeah. you can't With get any, yeah you can't get much better than him in the you know early mid 70s there well even later than that too but this was to me i loved it he didn't do a ton of horror for marvel but when he did do some stuff, he was really good at it. I, I think he could have made a career just out of horror. Yeah, this is spot on. <laughs> if I would have seen this number one on the stands, I would have snatched it up. And like you said, I'd probably hidden it from my parents. <laughs> um, yeah, my mom probably would have uh, raised an eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But yeah, it's a good cover. It's got uh, Dracula in the forefront here holding a, a lady that's a, uh, unconscious not sure if it's from being bitten or hypnotized and uh, he's in like a swampy marshy looking kind of area with his castle in the background and it says dracula lives the tomb of dracula and then the very bottom night of the vampire so yeah if you're a monster kid you're gonna go ape for this oh it's beautiful and dracula is sort of the name is written in um almost a, a batman ripoff <laughs> yeah it <Logan>. does <laughs> Uh, which I kind of appreciate being Neil Adams and all. So I don't know mm -hmm. if that was <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a good call there because uh, yeah, it does. It sort of looks like you know Dracula if he'd be holding up his cape there, but uh, with the right. collar and everything. But it's very uh, Batman logo esque and kind of funny that it's Neil Adams. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great it's, one. Let's dive in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. And then we were talking to a little bit, bit beforehand. I was saying how last October, you know, in uh, 2021, they had started to put this out in the Masterworks. So I snatched mm -hmm. one up right away because the other trades that, you know, you were talking about only went to volume three and they stopped and then they came out with this uh, like epic line or whatever they called them. And it's like it, they sold out very quickly. So they've been out of print for so long. They're crazy expensive. But when I saw this, I'm like, whoa, if I can get the. Uh, you know, a masterworks at a discount when they release them, I'm going to get them. I actually did get a really good deal on it. So I'm like, I'm just going to start getting the masterworks and then uh, probably sell off my trades when uh, they complete it, which probably will be forever from now. But I, uh, I have the patience. I can wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be worth it. Those masterworks are great. And uh, to have these immortalized uh, in, in the hardcover would be 
so awesome. Yeah, and I was saying too about how I love some of the extras they put in them too, like in the in the very back. I think they have a black and white story or a couple of black and white stories from the Dracula Lives magazines, and then issues uh, from the regular series too. They have issues one through ten. I'm sorry, one through eleven. Um, and then there's uh, all sorts of stuff in the way back too. There's like you know pinups and like you know art, you know just the pencil and ink work by Colin and stuff like that. It's really cool extras in the front. They have two, almost two forewords, uh, one by Roy Thomas and then uh, another one by Marv Wolfman who would take over with issue seven. And it's funny that I just, just always associate Marv Wolfman with this comic that when I was writing my notes down, I wrote him down as the writer. But <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's actually a, more of a plot by Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway uh, doing the writing. So that was kind of funny. Right. It made me laugh. I was like, it's not. <laughs> Yeah, this uh, this series it hops around. We don't want to jump too far forward, but the first uh, six issues are written by three different writers before Mark <laughs> Wolfman. Yeah, which is crazy. It really, it's yeah. It seems like it doesn't uh, quite know what it wants to do until Wolfman takes the reins, and then and then it kind of finds its footing with him, mm-hmm. and and I think takes off after that although the early issues are also enjoyable but they're uh, a little uneven because of the different writers on several mm-hmm. issues yeah for sure and i did i've heard this before but i did read you know when roy said in the forward that you know bill everett was going to be given the job and I, I love bill everett i don't know if he would have been okay like as good on this title as he is on you know daredevil or something like that maybe more of a superhero book but they eventually gave it to Gene Colan when he, you know, was like, hey, I want that job and turned in a really cool page for them to see. And they were like, yep, give it to him. And I think they made the right choice there. <laughs> oh, man, I can't imagine another artist on this title. Um, he no. shines. I mean, I love I love Gene Colan's art no matter what he does. But this one, mm-hmm. he was made for this comic. Yeah, for sure. I'm right on that one with you. He is perf- pitch perfect for this. And he had a couple of different inkers until like maybe a certain issue, but then it was Tom Palmer after that. And Tom Palmer's a pretty mm. good inker. I like him overall. He can be a little heavy handed on some other pencilers, but he is fantastic on Gene Colan's pencils. Yeah, I think those guys work really well together. Um, the first issue is great. I think it's just Gene, right? I don't see an inker. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah, he did uh, this one all by and, himself. Yep. And it's it's beautiful, but I think that Tom Palmer does work really well with him. And if you want to see a a, really, <laughs> a a quite the startling difference, I know one of these early issues is inked by Vince Coletta, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. you, you can really tell. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think one of the later ones too might be. And he's an inker I like this guy, uh, but he didn't really look great on this is uh, Jack Abel. You know, he'd been around for quite some time. Oh. I think he was, yeah. And his, I don't know which issue it is. I can't remember, but maybe it's like 12 or something like that. And you can just see a stark difference compared to Tom Palmer. Yeah. It's amazing. I think, uh, I think he really uh, respected Gene's pencil. I think he did a good job because I've read and, and heard uh, interviews with people talking about, how do you ink Gene Colan's pencils? And I've seen his, uh, I've seen his layouts and they're beautiful, but yeah, I wouldn't want to be the one to try to ink that stuff because the, the shadows and the, the shading that he does. Um, yeah. Some really delicate and 
Um, you can tell by the first issue, just looking at how he inks himself, you know, um, mm -hmm. God, I could look at his art all day. Yeah. He's my favorite comic book artist ever. He's number one for me. Um, so yeah, I could, I'm right there with you on that one. Even some of his, you know, 1960s or early seventies, maybe superhero work, which I don't think superheroes really are his, you know, best genre, but he still did a really good job back in the day, even with the superhero stuff. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it was Dare, Daredevil. Oof. Oh, those Daredevils are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. They were, I call moody and shadowy too, which you wouldn't think would work with a superhero, but it worked with that character. Great. That's true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, okay. Like I said, we have uh, Jerry Conway here as the writer, not Marv yet. <laughs> and then Gene Cole and yeah, pencils and inks. John Costanza was a letterer. And then like we said, Neil Adams was the cover artist. And then the editor and the plotter uh, we had was uh, Roy Thomas. But uh, yeah, man, I think one of the things I read too, like not to go, go too far into Marv Wolfman here is that uh, originally he had only read uh, a children's paperback of the story of Dracula. But then when he was tapped to do this uh, book, he uh, borrowed a copy of the Stoker novel from the library and he loved it. He said, and I'm like, wow. So it was you know a little bit later in life for him to read a classic like that. Oh, which wow. I it was kind of interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Well, considering where he takes the series, uh, that actually isn't that surprising because it's, it's not like he holds fast to the uh, the Stoker novel necessarily. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he goes in some wild, wild directions. Yeah, yeah. This series, even I mean, a lot of series towards the end of them do kind of go off the rails a little bit because usually when it's starting to get towards the end of a series, the numbers were dropping as far as sales go. So they're trying everything and throw, throw the kitchen sink out of book to try to, you know, sure. keep it alive and keep it going. But I think a lot of his stuff still worked even towards the end, even though it was kind of crazy. <laughs> when you bring uh, Spider-Man in and <laughs> silver surfer, <laughs> silver surfer, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Dracula gets married and has a kid. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, crazy crazy but uh, i thought it was fun man i always even if i didn't think it was the most like intense riveting story i always had fun and was entertained by the story so to me that's that's all, that's what a comic book uh, writer and artist are supposed to do you know make you think you got your money's worth and i always did with this yeah totally agree all right well why don't we get into the story here i'll just do a quick little synopsis here for like a minute and then uh, we'll just dive into it and kind of go over you know likes and dislikes and some pages we really loved and all that stuff how about that sounds good let's hit it all right so in the mountains of transylvania we see three figures in a vehicle frank drake clifton graves and genie are making their way to a local pub once there they hire a driver to take them to castle dracula you see, Frank Drake is a descendant of the Count and has inherited the old castle. In a flashback, we see how Frank was wealthy but lost his money and how his best friend Clifton convinced him that the old European castle would make a great tourist attraction and make his money back. So back to the present day, and the three friends enter the castle. Clifton wanders off on his own and finds a coffin, and there's a skeleton inside with a stake in its chest. He removes the stake, and we see the Count transforming back into his normal vampire self. He then slaps Clifton down like a child and gets his sights on Frank and Jeannie. He hypnotizes Jeannie, but Frank uses her silver compact to stop him. Dracula then flies off in bat form, 
and kills a young woman in the nearby village. He later tracks down Frank and Jeannie again, choking Frank unconscious, and then bites Jeannie. The villagers then set fire to the castle, and as Frank comes to, he uses a mirror to scare off Dracula, but the damage is done, and Jeannie is a vampire. She then vanishes into the night. <laughs> so, big picture. What did you think of this story for a first issue? <laughs> uh, well, plot-wise, not a lot going on here, but you, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. So, you know, issue one, let's just get Dracula uh, resurrected and get him in the story. So they, they mm-hmm. did a good job of that. Um, it was enjoyable. I had fun reading it. Um, there's a lot to, to actually like about this issue, I think. Um, mm-hmm. and of course artwork as we've already, we'll, we'll just continue to gush over Gene Colan's artwork. <laughs> like mm-hmm. every page is beautiful. Um, yeah, I, did, uh, <laughs> where to start? So I have yeah. some like chronological notes here. I don't know how you want to. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we can start at page one here now. Like you said, the artwork to me is definitely, you can just stare at this all day long. Like that first splash page oh, there, God. just, you know, there's a little <laughs> bit of a purple prose at the top there, but I love that stuff. I'm a sucker for it. And then there's Dracula mm-hmm. in the lightning uh, right over the castle. Yeah. And there's like a little bit of a graveyard there and a headstone. And it says, <laughs> rest in peace, Stan Lee, Jerry Conway, Gene <laughs> Colan, and John Costanza there. I like how they did that. And then on another headstone that's kind of in the dark, uh, they wrote like a little... Uh, you know, a little uh, inroad here. It says, in this night, there is a stench of death, of things long past living, but tis a stench quickly lost, consumed as all things are, consumed by the seemingly endless, seemingly eternal rain. <laughs> There's a crazy storm coming through. <laughs> but I love it, man. I love yeah. that kind of stuff. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do, too. And I, I'm definitely a sucker for uh, exposition or, or credits on a tombstone. I love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, so like uh, you said, it's yeah, it's Dracula. a great great artwork, man. Oh, that page is beautiful. Yeah, I would hang this on my wall. It's amazing. <laughs> mm. um, so yeah, with, with so we start with the with the three characters driving through that eternal rain. Um, <laughs> and I, I really I love uh, panel two on the second page where uh, mm. <laughs> some sort of ditch ahead. Can't, <laughs> can't avoid it. You know, and I like to think that um, I'm not sure who's driving. I guess Frankie mm-hmm. looks like Frank's driving. So yeah. um, I like to think that it's not just that Frank is a terrible driver. I like to think that maybe Dracula's minions are out there digging ditches across roads to uh, stop, you know, <laughs> wary travelers. Well, I'll tell you what, if the roads in Transylvania are supposed to be kept up by the same people that do it in Pennsylvania, there's potholes everywhere and ditches everywhere. Let me tell you, man. <laughs> there might be some relation. <laughs> yeah, if there's road service like that, man, forget it. It's doom. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> but yeah, it's sort of the, uh, you, I think you're going to find quite a few cliches in this first issue. So the, the mm-hmm. whole travelers uh, breaking down and and having to go to the local pub to talk to the people there to find out what's going on. Um, we've seen some of this in the movies. And I, I wanted to ask you, what do you think about the uh, atmosphere of this? Um, because it, to me, there's I 
some uh, universal horror movie stuff in here, but also yes. some Hammer. It seems mm-hmm. like a, maybe a mix of the two. Yeah, yeah. The the whole car going off the road and the, the weather reminds me of Universal's The Black Cat. Right, yep, totally. Mm-hmm. And then the pub scene, it's uh, right out of a Hammer film. <laughs> the pub seems like out of a Hammer movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I- um, and uh, there's also... Yeah, something I want to confess is the first couple of readings through this, um, I didn't realize that they were asking for a man named Burgeister. I kept reading it as Burgermeister. Burgermeister. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, dude, I, was, I apologize to Jerry Conway because I was like, doesn't Jerry Conway have a, a title and not a name? And then like the third time I read this, I was like, oh, no, it was me. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, and that's something right out of a Hammer film, too. They were forever talking about the Burgomaster in the town. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this this sets it up nicely. You get your introduction of who everybody is and, and the town itself. And uh, the other thing, and I think, again, Marv Wolfman kind of takes this series out of this area, but... Um, mm-hmm. This town seems to exist in that, uh, again, the sort of universal horror movie land where you're, it's really hard to tell what year or decade even that this is taking place in because mm-hmm. um, they arrive at a bar, but then, you know, they're in a carriage. All the people in the pub look like they might be living in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Kind of, of the modern and the uh, and the old. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of what they tried to do with the uh, animated series, the Batman animated series that came out in 1992, where, you know, you have all this tech and it looks more modern, but then the city kind of looks, you know, a little bit older and there's blimps and police blimps and crap like that. It's like, right, you know, they're yeah. kind of <laughs> like infusing all these different eras kind of into one thing. It, they made it work, but it's definitely something you notice. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess it gives it a, a timeless quality. Um, I, for me, I, it you know I just immerse myself in these worlds anyway. So, mm-hmm. uh, but rereading it, I was sort of like, oh yeah. So they arrive in a car, but when they go to the castle, they're in this carriage that looks like it's out of eighteen ninety five. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did. I did kind of forget. Cool. I didn't. It's not that I forgot. It's I, I. I didn't mention the fact that a couple of tiny little things, and one of them is that uh, you know uh, Frankie and Jeannie are a couple, but not too long before this, she was with Clifton. So Clifton's all like pissed off and jealous and miserable about it, and always getting cocky with them about it and stuff like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, and the the dialogue. Some of this dialogue is really great for that stuff too, because um, you can really <laughs> tell that Cliff is is not uh, happy to be along mm-hmm. in this uh, awkward love triangle. <laughs> yeah. Like I love on page two when uh, lover boy and yeah. yeah. Lover man. <laughs> lover man. Like, yeah. lover man. <laughs> That's great. Oh man. Like, yeah. Oh, I mean, a little bitter. <laughs> yeah. He, he, Oh, he definitely is. He's definitely bitter. I did think too. I forgot to say too. I, I didn't really realize it when I read the story. You figure comics back then were probably only like in the 
18 to 22 page variety at the most. And this one's like 25 pages. And I think it's something Roy pointed out in the forward that he said it was originally going to be a, a black and white magazine. And then I think oh, he wow. said, yeah, he said that's why it's a little bit longer. And I think he said Lee was like, no, 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 no. We want to do it just as a regular color comic. But that's why it's not the like 18, 20 pages and it's 25 pages because they thought it was going to be in a magazine. Interesting. Yeah, I noticed that myself when I was going over it earlier uh, because I was writing page numbers down. And yeah, I, I hit page 22 and I was like, oh, wait, there's <laughs> a couple pages more here. And see, that, di that didn't even dawn on me. I just, just read and I'm like, yeah, that was cool because I just sometimes I just think I used to think to myself, oh, yeah, comics are all like 20 pages. But during different time periods, mm -hmm. sometimes they were only 17 or 18 and then they were 23 and 22 and 25. So right. that always throws me off. Right. Yeah. So this is a you get your your bang for your buck with this issue for sure. Yeah. And I like and, I, and that's why I'm thinking to myself, oh, you know, because like the whole like going through uh, Frank Drake's backstory there of him, you know, being wealthy, but then going broke. Um, I feel like, you know, there were a few pages in the middle that felt like I don't want to say filler, but they just felt a little bit unnecessary. Like it could have been a couple panels, but instead it was like three pages worth. Yeah, that's true. Um, and honest, as, since you brought it up, uh, Frank Drake, uh, they give it kind of real quick and vague, like, uh, his father made a million bucks and then he blew a million bucks in three years, but they don't say how. <laughs> no, they never and do. They him, <laughs> then they show a, a few panels of him trying to get loans from people and getting turned down. And I'm thinking, you know, actually, uh, I think these people turning them down might be justified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If they just saw a friend blow through a million dollars in three years and it was just for shenanigans, because it doesn't say like he made bad <laughs> investments or anything. It just kind of right. makes it sound like he was just like a goon and just spent it all on, I don't know, <laughs> <Exactly>. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, the, the only person that will uh, take him seriously is, his good friend Clifton. Mm. Yeah, he seems uh, like one of those guys that's just like a hanger on. Like, even when you don't have money, he has nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a, a really good example of how good Gene Colan is because all uh, the way he draws Cliff in these panels, just some of his posture and the expressions on his face, you can tell that he's already kind of scheming uh, mm -hmm. as, as Frank starts to give him his backstory where he says, Oh, Oh wait, didn't I tell you uh, my family name used to be Dracula? I guess that's <laughs> <in> my mind. <laughs> yeah, really? How long has he known Clifton? And he didn't think, think to say that maybe, unless maybe he's embarrassed. I don't know. <laughs> right. You know, if, if my family name was originally Dracula, that's the first thing I tell anybody okay. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um but yeah so he he gets he starts getting the story and tells him that he has inherited this castle you know but i don't know what to do with it and then clifton is like oh man what do you mean tourism man come on dracula's mm -hmm. castle <laughs> yeah i mean so, that's actually not a bad so, idea I agree. I, I would, uh, I would go. 
<laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> and then he's got some kind of like a journal or something here that tells him about the old family history. And that's a pretty cool page, too. I think that's page eight where, you know, it kind of has mm -hmm. Frank sitting there in the middle reading a book like a, the journal or whatever, a, a big panel. And there's one tiny one up in the corner there with him and Clifton going back and forth and Dracula kind of in shadow there, his just his eyes and his hair and stuff. That's a really cool panel there by Giener. Yeah, Dracula's eyes looming over him as he reads the the history. Um, although I, one thing I was a little, so it looks like it's a journal that got handed over to different people, um, and then ended up with a man named Van Helfine. Which <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> is, is that a typo or? Uh, Van Helfing. Yeah. Who, I'm thinking, are they going to blame John Costanza? <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn, but um, a pretty good, yeah, and this one page kind of encapsulates um, the, the story of Dracula and how Frank is related to him. Mm -hmm. And yeah, again, the art is, uh, the moodiness of the artwork is just amazing. Yeah, it's on point for sure. And then the following page, too, when they're kind of going back and forth and they're saying about, you know, going to make some money off of it. And and then I like that bottom panel where Clifton's like, the castle, this is it, Frankie boy, homecoming. Doesn't it sort of choke <laughs> you up? <laughs> Shut up, Clifton. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit of a wise guy. And uh, mm -hmm. Frank seems a little on edge and distracted, as we'll see as the story goes on. Mm -hmm. um which i guess makes sense he's he's got a lot on his mind and of course they arrive at the castle in a raging lightning storm which is perfect mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh it's always got to be rendered <laughs> <laughs> uh, beautifully mm. again we probably don't have oh, to yeah. say that every page is amazing but uh i can't help it <laughs> yeah it's difficult not to just because even the more mundane pages where it's just you know a lot of dialogue where there's not much action going on it just looks absolutely incredible. You know, it's Gene is such a master, but yeah, next page too. you know, bats attack, of course, because you're in Transylvania and there's a castle and there's a thunderstorm. You got to have some bats. That's right. Our first appearance of bats and, uh, in, in the word balloon, just big, uh, a thick, dark letters. <laughs> bats. <laughs> you can see the, the terror on Jeannie's face too though it's it's really good yeah absolutely and they kind of just uh <laughs> what is and then again like you said frank he's really on edge man like clifton gone lord bats i can't stand them filthy and shut up clifton oh why shut up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like geez man like what is up with you <laughs> yeah he's just expressing uh you know you guys just got attacked by a horde of bats come on give him a break <laughs> Yeah, he goes, and that's like I said in the synopsis, he goes wandering off on his own, and I guess it's like, you know, this, the floorboards are, you know, rotting away or something like that, and he uh, breaks through and falls down into, like, the, a basement area and finds some steps and goes down into these catacombs, and again, man, the artwork, crazy good, him holding, like, a, I think it's just his lighter he's holding, and he's uh, going down these steps, and man, that's a really good panel and some really good pages here coming into this. Yeah, the, the color, uh, I forget who the colorist is on this issue, but the color in these panels is stupendous. 
Um, mm. and, and the shadow and yeah, that orange glow as he goes through these cobwebby stairs. And, um, I was wondering with this falling through, um, Oh, I might be wrong about this. When originally, I thought he was on some stairs, but I think you're right. It's just floorboards. But I was wondering if Stephen King read this before he wrote Salem's Lot. Because <laughs> there's the scene in, uh, towards the end of Salem's Lot where the doctor uh, going into the basement and the, the stairs, you know, aren't there and he falls. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, probably. But this was 1972 and Salem's Lot didn't come out till 1975. So... <laughs> I'm in my mind. I like to uh, imagine that Stephen King read this and then uh, caged a little bit from it. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I bet. And that's not to disparage King, but everybody's always, you know, kind of even if they realize it, if it is consciously yeah. or subconsciously, they're kind of, you know, borrowing a little bit from experiences of everything they've seen and read. So, oh, I wouldn't doubt it. Totally, totally. Yeah, I know he was into comic books and. Uh, mm hmm. Uh, yep. Yeah, but yeah, this uh, when he goes down and then he finds the the tomb, I guess, mm -hmm. or yeah, like, the coffin there, yeah, yeah, the coffin and says Count Dracula right on it. <laughs> yeah, he he wants everybody to know he's in there. <laughs> That's great, right? And in case that wasn't enough, uh, you got some kind of uh, bat demon monster crouching on top of it just to uh just to make sure <laughs> yeah just so you know there's something really bad in there so you'll be like hey let's open this <laughs> exactly <laughs> which is of course what uh clifton does immediately mm -hmm. yeah apparently he doesn't believe in any legends so he pulls the stake right out and kind of like walks away and looks around while he's just you know being a goon and dracula you know, reforms. And I love that panel in the bottom right-hand corner of page 14 there. He's just, no. And the guy, you know, Dracula's looking right at him. Yeah. It's yeah. We, we finally have Dracula. We have our title character and he couldn't look cooler. Really. I mean, the way Gene Colan draws Dracula is perfect. I, um, I believe that he based, the look of Dracula in the comic on Jack Palance from mm -hmm. uh, the Jack Palance Dracula, which was the same year, I think, or somewhere around it was, that time. Yeah, it was somewhere in the 70s. This, I don't know. This might predate that, which is kind of wild, but Jack Palance was a pretty big actor back then anyway, so I think he just liked him as an actor, so that might yeah, have been why he did it. I think yeah. you're right. I yeah. think you're Isn't right. That, wild? <laughs> that is crazy. I, yeah, the, the Jack Palance Dracula came out in 73 and this comic is 72. That is amazing. Yeah. That's, that's wow. a pretty neat fun <laughs> version of Dracula too. I actually like that one. That's pretty good. <laughs> I do too. That's, that is, uh, just jumping off topic real slightly. Uh, that Jack Palance Dracula is m one of my, not only one of my very first memories, period, but my very first memory of watching a horror movie. Oh, that's um, awesome. When I was a tiny, tiny little child. Too too small to be watching movies like that, but somehow <laughs> I 
somehow I pulled it off because I, I have that memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, most of my horror yeah. movie memories that I shouldn't have been watching are due to the fact that my mom worked night shift and then slept during the day. So anything that was on during the day was fair game. <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, yep. this, uh, this rendering of Dracula is, I think, awesome. It, it might be the coolest looking Dracula of any movies or anything i think the gene colon dracula is perfect yeah it is it is really good i mean some of my favorite panels of genes are definitely from the tomb of dracula one of them's in this book here it's on uh, page 17 the top right hand corner where dracula has his you know cape up by his face and he says mm-hmm. uh what is he saying that something very special something that is someone someone who is dracula and he's man he looks really creepy there that's a great panel that's yeah. one of my favorites <laughs> yeah that's mm. perfect and the panel before that uh where dracula is transforming from a bat oh yes to corporeal form and you can see that his face as the bat sort of is enlarging i mean it doesn't really it looks like a bat anymore. It just looks more like a demon. And you can see the face forming in there. Yeah. And then the next panel where he's fully Dracula with the cape. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great chilling. stuff. These, these pages, uh, both of these pages, um, just looking at them, this is a horror comic. Just look at Dracula's face, his mouth, mm-hmm. teeth, the, the claws. Um, God, he's got the pointy ears. I mean, it's everything. Dead, dead white skin. Just yep. completely pale white skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I like the uh, the mustache and little goatee too. That, <laughs> that totally yeah. gives him. Yeah, like the little pencil mustache and the goatee. <laughs> yeah, it looks really cool. But mm-hmm. yeah, so Dracula, Dracula lives. Here he is, and he, and he's menacing our heroes. Yeah, I love how he right away hypnotizes Jeannie. And I like Frank's solution to stopping her from going to Dracula. They're on page 18. She's like, out of my way, Frank. I'm going to Dracula. He's my new man. And Frank's like, no. And just cold cocks her with a right hand. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, holy crap, man. It's <laughs> uh, great. Yeah. He's, it seemed like there had to be maybe a better way to do that. But okay. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and then she, if you feel yeah, too, right. in, that, in that panel where he punches her, she looks like she's almost ready to have a wardrobe malfunction there, too, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he knocked oh. her right out of her blouse almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's laying on the ground there, too, and her boobs are almost popping out. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Those, both of those panels are amazing. Um, yeah, he socks her right on the jaw, knocks mm-hmm. her out. I guess saved her for the time being. Um, and then pulls, uh, pulls her silver compact out, which we actually learned of a couple of pages, three pages back or so we had Chekhov's silver Mm -hmm. compact. Yeah. (laughs) A little (laughs) foreshadowing there. (laughs) Yeah. Where where she makes sure, even though she's just, it's in a thought balloon, she makes sure that we know that that compact is made out of silver. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. He pulls the silver compact out, brandishes it, and Dracula doesn't like it at all. 
No, I love, I love, and that's another thing too. They stay consistent with his dialogue. I mean, I think Marv Wolfman does the best with it, but even back here, you know, Jerry Conway, that's one of my favorite things about this comic is Dracula is like a smack talker and he thinks he's better than everybody and he's going to kill everybody and do whatever he wants. He thinks he's like basically indestructible. And he says, you're a clever man, intruder. That silver compact betrays me. I cannot remain, but this I promise you, foul daylighter. Dracula is not so easily dispatched for long. <laughs> a foul daylighter. <laughs> He's got like the best yeah, insults ever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a, that's a good thing to point out. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. Dracula is totally arrogant throughout the whole series. Um, mm-hmm. and I love him. I love him like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just, yeah. He looks down everybody. He's like, yeah, you might have got me now, but you know, you you won the battle, but not the war. I'm gonna be back. Mm-hmm. I love too how he always refers to himself in the third person too. Dracula will do this. Dracula will do that. That's all. Another one of my favorite <laughs> things. I love that. I think he's gonna walk around at work doing that from now on. <laughs> uh yeah it's amazing um one thing though that i was curious about is uh how dracula knows what a woman's compact is Mm, Uh, yeah i don't know if they had those when he was around (laughs) because he says that silver compact betrays me i was like oh i guess dracula knows all he's immortal so (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe even his uh, skeleton form was uh, still listening on in on people. But yeah, something about that—a com, a woman's compact. Like you figure, if he was killed like a hundred years before this happened, or something like that, I don't know if they had women's compacts around back then. Yeah, I don't think so. I might be wrong, but I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't think yeah, so either. Unless they're very wealthy people, maybe. Right. Well, that yeah, that might be true. But yeah, he turns into a bat and flies off. And then we have another great uh, panel where he's uh, flying out of the castle and then into mm. the of our village. Um, after our uh, a, a comely lass who we met back at the beginning in the pub. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she worked there. I'm assuming she was like the barmaid there. Yeah, that's what the dialogue says. At first, the way she was talking, I almost thought she was, you know, uh, a lady of the night, <laughs> the way she was talking before they were coming in. That's kind of how uh, Jean draws her as well, I think, because there's that panel where she's leaning back against the bar and her dress is like hiked up over her thigh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of thought that too. But yeah, I think she just works there <laughs> as a bar. Yeah. Not, not anything else. But here yeah. she's coming uh, home through the village, and, uh, you know, Dracula, uh, he's been asleep for a long time. He needs to feed. Mm-hmm. Great scene. Really great scene. He jumps right on her, bites her, and yeah, she just screams. And then I love the final panel on that page where she's laying there, you can tell, dead, and it's her and her clothing is all in red, like to give you some blood, you know. Right. It's, yeah, I really like that. And again, um, the way Dracula's portrayed here, right from the very beginning, like you said earlier, um, he immediately when he when uh, Cliff pulls the stake out, he uh, well first 
Cliff pulls a gun and shoots him, which also I was going to mention uh, the gun he smuggled through customs. So apparently <laughs> yeah. customs in Pennsylvania is really, really lax. <laughs> yeah, probably back um, then they were. <laughs> that probably. Uh, yeah, immediately Dracula just disposes of him, disposes of him immediately. He's not playing around. And then, like you said, uh, when he sees Jeannie, immediately hypnotizes her. And now uh, flies in the street, immediately just descends on this poor woman and drains her of blood and kills her. He just doesn't mess around. No, no. When he's hungry, look out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and I like how you know, the villagers then find the dead woman. And the mark of a vampire. Here we go. It's starting up again. And a bunch of drunk goons at the, <laughs> at the pub. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And we have the, uh, the, the perfect angry villagers, the angry mob, with, complete with torches, mm-hmm. marching through the village to the uh, castle. Again, making me wonder what decade, what century even maybe this is taking place. But I love it. I love a good mob of angry villagers. Uh, oh, yes. On. Yep, love it. You figure <laughs> nowadays the parallel would be they'd be a mob of angry villagers with cell phones instead of pitches, pitchforks and torches. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> oh, man. I love oh, I love that panel, though, when Dracula flies back into the castle. And at the top, he's like a bat, and then he starts transforming again. Like, there are some really good transformation scenes. Yeah. Yeah, he does a really good job with that. Um, it's clear what's happening. It looks cool. And mm-hmm. yeah, he's back in his castle and he sees uh, Jeannie leaping mm-hmm. off uh, Frank's cold cock to the jaw. <laughs> his right <laughs> hand. <laughs> yeah, looks like she's still out. Um, and so he creeps closer uh, and but she is wearing a crucifix around her neck. But man, mm-hmm. that picture of his face as he leers over her again. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. Real the creepy. In his face, there is, is spot on. And then his dialogue a crucifix. Hades, take them. Who dared? <laughs> Frank, I dare. <laughs> <count>. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, yep. And so Frank's back. My name's Frank Drake, Count. It used to be Dracula. Uh, (laughs) i don't know if dracula cares about that he doesn't really seem to (laughs) no he yeah like i said he always has this like utmost confidence that no matter what situation he's in he's still the boss of the situation that he can get out of it or do whatever he wants to i mean it doesn't always work out that way but he always does have that confidence and then he lets you know too verbally exactly yeah and uh (laughs) Uh, the next panel, again, with any time he's uh, holding his cape kind of over his face, Lugosi style like that, it always mm-hmm. looks really Yeah, that's great. And then they do play a little fast and loose with some of the vampire rules, you know, like a silver compact. Like, I don't know too many, you know, like films or even books I've read where you can just like brandish like a silver compact and they're scared of you. Or in this case, then he just shows them a mirror because he's like, you can't stand the sight of a mirror. Uh, that's right. that's kind of new there too, and then like how Dracula, you know, with his dialogue, uh, pisses him off and tells him he's gonna kill him, yeah. and uh, takes off Frank and he throws it at him and beams him off the head with it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a uh, um, whack. It says uh, in big red letters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then he just says, "Idiot, <laughs> idiot! Did you really think that compact would destroy me?" Uh, and I was thinking the same thing. You idiot, Frank. What? What are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah, the the one thing you had that could kind of keep him at bay, and you just like basically threw it away, you dummy. And that's when he chokes yeah. him out. And oh, this next page too, another one of my uh, favorite dialogue lines. So Frank gets choked unconscious, and Jeannie wakes up from the scuffle. And Dracula gives her the old stare, and he says, "There, my darling. There, remove that hated bobble. Remove it." <laughs> it rips the cross off and chucks it out the window. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, perfect. Uh, the look on Dracula's face as he utters that dialogue too is great. His eyes all wide. His mouth is really wide, and his teeth. The way Colin draws his fangs, they're not just like two sharp canines. Like he's got a mouthful of jagged, nasty-looking teeth. Yeah, he looks insane in that panel, like he's going nuts. He really does. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. But yeah, and, uh, one of my favorite lines: "Remove that hated bobble." <laughs> <laughs> he does have a way with words. I gotta say, mm -hmm. yeah, very eloquent. Um, yeah, I love it. And then, of course, here, here's your buddies outside with their torches and pitchforks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, they find the cross and. Uh, they assume that they're too late because, you know, once the cross is, if a, you find the crucifix laying on the ground, that means Dracula's probably got the better of somebody. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, humans in the castle be darned. We're going to just burn it down. Uh, so they, they put it to flame. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. There's Frank waking up there and you see Dracula bent over Genie. That's kind of creepy scene there too. Yeah kind of suggestive as much as uh, yeah. a, a Marvel comic could get away with in 72, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And then he gets the silver compact again and Dracula flies yeah. off and he's like, he doesn't really give a crap at that point. And they have Frank uh, <laughs> carrying Jeannie out, but I don't think he realizes she's been bitten yet. No, I don't think so either. And, mm -hmm. uh, but he does momentarily. Uh, the, uh, the villagers leave. I guess they figure they burn the castle down, not much else to do. So they just mm -hmm. kind of go off. They leave Frank and Jeannie. And he says, no, I came too late. She's dead. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get uh, Jeannie from the shadow here. Frankie, Frankie, don't cry. I'm not dead. You see, I'm not. And she's. And this is something, too, another one of the things they kind of play around with that it's never really a solid because like as the series goes on a lot of times they try to say once you're bitten it takes like two or three days till you fully become a vampire but not in this yeah. one you know she was bitten like what five <laughs> minutes ago and she's a vampire <laughs> one of my one of my favorite uh, uh ways to describe that is uh, uh a podcast i used to listen to years ago called the b movie cast i think they were talking about <laughs> The 1972 film Blackula, and one of the guys on there, oh, okay. good guy, his name's Nick Brown. He was like, "Yeah, you can never tell if it was going to be, you know, take a couple days or if it was going to be a shake and bake vampire. It was going to be right away." Because <laughs> <laughs> that's they do that in this series a lot. You know, sometimes it's like, "Oh, well, we'll be there to stake you in a couple of days," and other times, like right now, she's a vampire in five minutes. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I don't think they ever solved that problem, but uh, you know, we we forgive a lot of things in comics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, in this case, she is immediately a vampire, and uh, I guess Frank should feel very fortunate that all she does is get up and uh, kind of disappear. I, I is it implied that she turns into a bat or is she just following a bat that i believe might be dracula Looks like I maybe think, she just yeah i think that's what they're saying i think she's like you know waving to him like yo dude wait for me and he keeps flying away and she's gonna walk on foot maybe she's, yeah. she's such a a baby vampire <laughs> she can't change into a bat yet <laughs> she doesn't have her pilot's license <laughs> right <laughs> Well, Dracula is no gentleman, I guess, either. He's just going to make her walk. And, uh, yeah, hot-footed. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, he knows that he's lost her and perhaps forever gained a demon's curse. That's <laughs> great we... stuff. Yeah, that's the last it's panel. That's good. great. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Dracula wins, uh, more or less, and uh, it makes you want to see what's going to happen next because uh mm-hmm. all in i'm all in this is all i need it's got all the horror stuff that i love and like we said it, it takes a while for the series to kind of find its footing mm-hmm. and like you said they do play a little fast and loose i don't i don't know the silver thing i always thought silver was a werewolf thing but yeah yeah <laughs> i do too yep in this case, you know, Drac- Dracula doesn't like it. That's fine. I can buy that. I'm I'm on board. I will I will follow them uh, wherever they go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I thoroughly enjoyed this issue. Uh, I think it's great. I think it it only gets better. Uh, the next few issues are kind of up and down, story wise. Mm-hmm. Once once Mark Wolfman comes on board, uh, this thing really takes off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they do try even in these first six issues to have a little bit of continuity. You know, the next one starts out with some continuity leading from this one. But yeah, it's it's very uneven until they get Marv on here and he really starts to get his groove after a few issues. But man, once he does, it's uh, he's like you said, he might be all over the place with some of the stuff that's not really your traditional, you know, film or Stoker novel kind of material. But it's great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I I would uh, I got <laughs> I I got to get the rest of these issues <laughs> as we were talking about. I don't I don't have I only have the first uh, I don't know twenty something issues, so I need to get the rest. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Awesome yeah, at this point, maybe even see if uh, uh, they can find the essentials somewhere online because man, the single issues you can find them on eBay and stuff like that, but the market has gone berserk in the last few years. So even something that like Dracula, that's not even, you know, uh, a movie coming out anytime soon or any crap like that, but just the back issues. Right, like, yeah. yeah, they can be expensive. Even the middle of the higher numbers in the series can still be expensive if they're in decent shape. Yeah. I think the, uh, the cool thing with those essentials in this case is that uh, Gene Collins art, as we were talking about before we were recording, in mm-hmm. black and white is a, a thing to behold, you know? So mm. the, 
those essentials, I think it'd be worth mm-hmm. it just to see in black and white, even if I had all the issues already. Yep. Yeah, it's, they really are really good. And in the back of the Masterworks, too, it does show you some of the pages, you know, without color, just the pencil and ink. And, oh, they're just crazy good. I, it's like, you know, like, you know, like we said, it'd be something you'd be like, you want to have a framed, something framed. Like if I had, you know, if I hit the lotto tomorrow, man, and money was no object, I'd try to buy some <laughs> or, original artwork of Gene Colan of Tomb of Dracula for sure. That would be one of the first things I'd look for. Yeah, he is a master. I think uh, his art keeps this series grounded even when things get a little silly uh, mm-hmm. because his art is never silly even if there's some really wacky stuff going on mm-hmm. his art through, through the whole series this is horror comic artwork mm-hmm. uh, no matter what's happening and it's it's amazing it's beautiful yeah like we said even if you drag a superhero and throw him in the book it's still very much a horror book and Gene's uh, artwork is definitely, you know, no, no, not to poo-poo uh, Marv Wolfman's writing, which is great on it, too. But even if something, you know, goofy happens or, like I said, the Silver Surfer's in there, it doesn't matter. The artwork is so <laughs> moody and such a horror, you know, art. It, it just really, it keeps it in that that genre. Yeah, it's seeing. It's beautiful. Yeah, I love it, man. I really yeah. enjoy that. Yep, it was great. Yeah, it's just... Uh, and like we said, it only gets it better. Only gets better and better after each issue, really. Uh-huh. And like especially once Marv jumps on with, uh, I think we said what seven there. He comes on and it's just so yeah, perfect, perfect teaming. This is like one of those lightning in the bottle, you know, books for sure. Yeah, I agree. And uh, who better to write Dracula than a guy named Wolfman, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's like perfect pairing right there. <laughs> There's no better horror name in comic books than a guy named Wolfman. <laughs> it is pretty awesome. I mean, when I was a kid, that's how I pronounced his name whenever I read any of his comics. I was like, Marv Wolfman. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, nothing wrong. I'm sure he'd still uh, appreciate being called Wolfman. I don't think he's got a problem with it. He, he seems to really be proud of this series and what they accomplished. And rightly so. Like we said, it went for like, what, 70 oh, sure. issues, 72, 70 year issues or something like that. That's it's pretty long for a horror series. That is. That is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, a lot of these kind of came and went. Tuma Dracula stuck around, and did he write the uh, the magazine as well? Some of them, yeah, familiar. yeah, okay. he he did. He wrote some of them. I was lucky enough; they actually came out with omnibus editions of Tuma Dracula, and I missed the boat on the first two. So till I saw them, they were out of print, and they were crazy expensive, which they're probably three times what I saw them for now. Uh, oh. But I was able to get volume three in the omnibus uh literally it's probably a hundred dollar cover price i think i got it for like 30 bucks um wow and it was yeah and it's great because it has all <laughs> of the magazine stuff in it the tomb of dracula magazine and the dracula lives magazine it has both of them full runs in there it's great uh that's super cool yeah and yeah. Then, is that gene colon art as well well you know a lot of it is but there's even some crazy stories in there. There's a Steve Ditko story, like artwork in there, which sounds crazy. Wow. It? Yeah, it is. I'll, I'll have to like snap a picture or two and send them to you. It's crazy. It's a crazy Dracula story, but it's good. Um, John Buscema, I think, has a couple in there. Try and think who else, oh, but it's, it's a lot of colon for sure. A lot of Gene Colon in there. Okay, nice. Yeah, I'll have to familiarize myself with that stuff too. Yeah, and of course, black and white. So again, Gene's work is like, I, I really, I would not have, I mean, not that the, the trades like you have 
or the masterworks look bad or anything like that. It still looks great in color too, but I would have been a happy person going to my grave uh, just having the black and whites. They're that good. Yeah, yeah. Can't go wrong with it. It's amazing. Yep, for sure. So, all right. Well, why don't we uh, transition here before we wrap up and uh, say, uh, you know, what's going on with you? What do you have going on? Anything out there you want anybody to know about and your presence online? Like, where can anybody find you if they're looking for you? All that kind of stuff. Oh, man. Well, I guess I should promote my uh, writer Twitter handle, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is actually yeah. my, my, my real name, Scott West. Um, and that's at Scott West 69 on Twitter. That's probably the best place to find me uh, as far mm -hmm. as that stuff. Um, I am a writer. You can find my novel, Ghost on the Highway, on Amazon. You can get it in Kindle or a you know, nice trade paperback edition. Mm -hmm. uh, I am hoping to have a new book, a short story collection coming out. Shooting for June. I'm working with the cover artist right now. Uh, with it's, his art is really cool. I'm really excited for the cover. Um, cool. If you if you like weird stuff, and I assume you do, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. If you like weird weird tales and horror and uh, mixed genre stuff, um, that's kind of what my short story collection is going to be. That's kind of what my novel is as well. It doesn't fall comfortably in any category. It just uh, weird. <laughs> and, um, I do have a podcast, although we seem to be on hiatus right now, but if you want to check that out, it's called feedback and four. And it's, uh, my friend Mike and I talking about, uh, the adventures of our first band back in the nineties. Um, we are up here in the Northwest and we were playing music while that whole grunge thing was going on. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of stories about that. And that's kind of what our podcast is about. You can find that on SoundCloud or Apple Music. Or you can go to our website, uh, com, and listen to it there. It's called Feedback and Forth. And hopefully one day we'll get back to that. And that's kind of what I got going on right now. Awesome. And I will have links to all this stuff uh, in the uh, show notes. So if anybody wants to, you know, give Scott a follow on Twitter, which would be cool. He's a good dude. And then uh, look for podcast. And like you said, your book on Amazon. And like I said, I'll have all the links to all that stuff. Uh, if anybody wants to check that out, that would be great. So, all right, man. Well, this has been great, man. I appreciate you coming on here and talking to me about this. This is a really a, a benchmark comic for me. And I think a lot of people too, for, you know, horror and especially horror in the Bronze Age. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. It's good to talk to you in person after all this time. And I, um, I really had a blast. It was cool to go back and, uh, revisit these and, uh, kind of mourn the fact that I didn't read these when I was a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, no time like the present. <laughs> yep. That's right. So yeah. Thanks a lot, man. Awesome. Well, stick around and I'll be back in a minute here to wrap things up. I am. Dracula. I bid you welcome. I am Dracula, and I welcome you to my house. I am Dracula. Enter freely, and of your own will. I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. I am Count Dracula. 
Will you come in? Ich bin Graf Dracula und heiße Sie in meinem Schloss willkommen. I am Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Harcourt, to my house. up episode one thanks for listening to the show any feedback can be left at magazines and monsters at gmail.com or to me on twitter at billy d underscore licious or on the show's facebook page just search for it in the search bar uh, come back in two weeks uh, on another monster monday as i'll have another great guest and another bronze age comic scare you later mm-hmm.